Good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome as we come to worship and what truly feels like a really spring morning. So whether you've joined us in person or indeed online, we bid you a really warm welcome at the beginning of this Holy Week as we come to consider and to think through uh, Palm Sunday and what that means for us. And we'll hear more about that as we travel through our service today. We're going to cast our eyes to the screens to our response uh, for this uh, Palm Sunday. Hosanna to the Son of David. Hosanna in the highest. Let's stand together. I want to use the words of Psalm 24 uh, to open our service today as we say uh, these words together. Lift up your heads. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. Uh, The reading this morning is Matthew 21. And if you wish to follow the reading in your pew Bibles, it's on page 988. The triumphal entry. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her coat by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell them that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fold of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds then went ahead of him, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowd answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to gather together to study your word this morning, may my my mouth speak your words. May we come to know more of your heart. And may we live to serve you as our great King and Savior. Amen. This is a passage of uh, Jesus arriving into a community of people and there's definitely preparation that has gone ahead of this moment. There's been planning and organization. There's very few things in my life have taken more planning and more secrecy than when I proposed. So it was a lot of planning and operation went into that. Um, I got engaged at 20. Uh, Madness. Uh, Very good decision, but a chaotic decision. 
My student loan arrived in one, uh, one Friday, and then a week later I used my student loan to go and buy an engagement ring uh, and lived off beans or whatever I could find in my mother's freezer for the next <laughs> four months until my next installment arrived in. And I had big plans of what I wanted to do for the engagement. I was a youth worker at the time. I thought about having young people spell it out and going up in a helicopter and having them spell out, will you marry me? I thought about all these big uh, events and things and how many people could be there and how fantastic that would be. Then I realized that I am the extrovert and Sarah's an introvert and that would be her worst nightmare. So I understood that to, to tone it down a bit. Instead, very simply, uh, we, we both went to university together and I, I would have driven. And one day on the way to university, I drove past the gates of uni and we went out for the day instead. We went out for lunch and things and I, uh, at, at the, the lock shore, I got down on one knee and proposed at that point and she, all she could reply was, are you serious? It was much happier than that. It was much, I know. She just, um, yeah. No, there, there, there was a yes came um, in that moment. But then came planning of the wedding. And that's planning a big event, a big celebration. Lots of people going to be there. And I wanted everyone to be there. I just wanted everyone at our wedding. Although for every number you give to a caterer, that price goes up and up and up and weddings become extortionate. So I stopped telling the caterers when I invited people. Then I even stopped telling Sarah when I invited people. And then it came to the day of our wedding and people turned up and Sarah was like, I have no idea who you are, why you're here, but it's nice, nice of you to be here. Because I just wanted everyone to be there. In my planning, in the organization of this big event, I just wanted loads of people to be there, for loads of people to know about it, and for loads of people to share in that together with us. Jesus planned exactly when he was going to make his big reveal, when this most important of weeks was going to begin, and he made sure that the most people possible were going to be there. He wanted everyone possible to be there for that big announcement and for the trial ahead, for the crucifixion and for the resurrection. He wanted people to know about it. Romans were great at three things, building roads, collecting taxes, and killing people. We're going to focus on the second one. Collecting taxes was an important part of the Roman government. How they taxed people and how they recorded things. And actually the way they recorded things has been really helpful for us as we look back over scripture. Things such as the birth of Jesus when they returned back to Bethlehem because at that time there was a census. And at the time of Passover when Jesus arrives in Jerusalem there is a census. But this is a, an interesting census because it's not one that recorded people. There was a census that recorded the number of sheep or lambs that were necessary for the Passover festival. And at the time of this Passover festival, there was an estimated 250,000 lambs needed for sacrifice for the Passover festival. Now, it's a, it's a lot of lamb, a lot more mint required for the festival. And there was also other requirements at the time. If you lived within 15 miles of Jerusalem, you were required to come back to Jerusalem for Passover. If you were going to a Passover festival, you couldn't just gather with you and your spouse or you and your children. There was a minimum of 10 people required for every lamb to make sure that no food was going to waste. So for those of you who are quick with maths, can recognize that if there were 
three quarter, uh, one quarter of a million, uh, 250,000 lambs. That meant there was roughly an estimate of 2.5 million people gathered in Jerusalem or the surrounding area whenever Jesus arrived in this community. He arrived in this community and the people were gathered with a religious expectation. An expectation of what was going to happen, of what this festival was going to bring. And Jesus is ready with a plan. He's ready with a plan to enter a hostile environment. To enter a hostile environment with every eye focused on him with no room for error and no room for mistake. He could have come in the back entrance. He could have walked in like every other person. Yet he knew for him to arrive in, every eye needed to be focused on him for what was to come in the week ahead. So he arrived ahead. He sent his uh, disciples ahead of him. They went to Bethany and there they got uh, a donkey and there uh, they, they brought it to him. And it was a donkey that had never been ridden before. It had never uh, been working in the fields. He was the first person to sit on it. And he sends what arguably many consider to be a code word. This must have been organized in advance. He had gone ahead. He had pre-booked it. He had organized it this. And the, the code to say to them, uh, if anyone says anything, tell them that the Lord needs them. And he will send them right away. He knows where to go, what to do. This is organized. There are no mistakes made in this passage. And he arrives into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And here we see people cry Hosanna. They cry Hosanna. And I, I mentioned to our children at the front that this was the sign of a king arriving in. Kings could arrive in many different ways into a city. If it was a recently conquered city, he would arrive in on a war horse. He would arrive in as a sign of authority. But if a, sign, if, if a king wanted to show, show a sign of peace, the way he did so was to arrive on a donkey. On a donkey which was an animal quite often thought to work in the fields, but it was very common for a king to use a donkey to ride into a city as a sign of peace, as a welcome, as a greeting. He arrives into this wake of his life, knowing what's ahead, knowing of what is going to come, knowing of the trials he is going to face. And he does it peacefully. He does it on the back of a donkey, identifying himself as a king, not something he always does, but identifying himself as a peaceful king. The cry, Hosanna, comes to him. The cry, Hosanna, which we often think of as a cry for praise. If you have your books in front of you, I'd like you to look at the very bottom of the page. You'll note the little, uh, the notation that comes at the bottom. Whenever it says Hosanna, there's a small letter, a, a small letter B just there. And that leads us to the bottom saying, a Hebrew expression meaning save, which became an exclamation of praise. That this wasn't necessarily at the time. Hosanna wasn't a, you're great, you're mighty, we worship you. For the people here, they were shouting, save us, help us, save us, pray, save us. If you want to turn to Psalm 118, Psalm 118, uh, which is on 
page 617. Psalm 118 tells us a little bit about this. Psalm 118, verse 25. O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. This is the scripture that the people are crying out. This is the term that they are expressing to the king arriving in. Not only is he identifying himself as the king, but the people in the community are identifying him as the king and as the son of God. As they use scripture to respond to him, they say, O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. Deliver us. It was very common for kings, for prophets, to, use, uh, to express in their intention in a dramatic fashion. Prophets gathered attention of people before making a big announcement. When words began to lose meaning, prophets responded with action. They responded in a way that could be understood by all. This was not a scholarly group of people who came through education. This was an uneducated group of farmers, of uh, an uneducated group of fishermen, an uneducated group of tax collectors, whatever the background of the people who came to gather together for the Passover festival. It wasn't school teachers or educators. They needed to be able to communicate in a way in which people understood. And so prophets often used actions as a way of expressing their words, of expressing their intent. For when words began to lose meaning, they respond with action. On page 351, we're going to go back to 1 Kings. In 1 Kings chapter 11, uh, which is on page 351, verse 11, chapter, uh, verse 29, we're going to uh, hear a little bit of some of these prophets. As these prophets begin to rebel, we hear of the 12 tribes of Israel and rebellion is beginning to take place. About that time, Jeroboam was going out of Jerusalem and Ahijah was the prophet of Shiloh, met him on the way wearing a new cloak. The two of them were alone out in the country and Ahijah took uh, hold of the new cloak he was wearing and tore it into 12 pieces. Then he said to Jeroboam, take 10 pieces for yourself, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. See, I am going to tear the kingdom out of Solomon's hand and give you 10 tribes. But for the sake of my servant David and the city of Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, he will have one tribe. He could have taken, these prophets could have gathered together in words and expressed this and told him and said, 10 of the tribes are going to betray me. 10 of these people are going to revolt and only two will remain faithful. But instead he takes a new garment, he rips it up and he makes an action which can be seen for all. For those who would have heard more about it, to see this new garment being ripped up, they would have been asking, why has this happened? What does it mean? Why has he torn up this garment which might have been hard to come across. This is prized possessions. Why is he doing it? He knows the power of the conversation in the community which will carry that message on. Jeremiah chapter 27, that's where I'm going to go next. 
Jeremiah chapter 27, which is on page 787. So if you have your blue books, it's 787. Jeremiah 27, beginning at the first verse. Early in the reign of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. This is what the Lord said to me. Make a yoke out of straps and crossbars and put it on your neck. Then send word to the king of Odam, Moab, Ammon, Tyre, and Sidon through the envoys who have come to Jerusalem, to Zedekiah, king of Judea. Give them a message for their masters and say, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Tell this to your masters. With my great power and outstretched arm, I made the earth and its people and the animals that are on it, and I give it to anyone I please. Now I will hand all your countries over to my servant, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. I will make even the wild animals subject to him. This was a message of this is who's going to win the war. The countries and places that you own are going to be handed over to Nebuchadnezzar. They could have passed this on through messages, through envoys, or through diplomatic conversation. But instead, again, there is an act of something symbolic for the people to see. He takes a yoke. He takes something designed for animals to pull a plow behind them and applies it to himself. He puts it on himself. He makes bonds. He puts them around his own neck and gives signs for the slavery that will come ahead of them. For the bonds that they will be placed in, he could give them this message, but instead he takes an action that everyone watching can see and uses this to communicate. One chapter later, the false prophet, uh, Hananiah, does the same thing and as a response, takes the bonds and breaks them, takes the yokes and breaks them and says, this won't come true. Of course, Hananiah is wrong in this circumstance, but there, and as a false prophet, again tries to make a symbolic gesture for the people to see. I use all this to come to one very simple and clear point. We must make our actions speak as loud all very well for us to gather together in community and have our words proclaim God. It is all ve- it's all very well for us to gather together and allow our words to proclaim him in private or with our family. But actually, in so many of these passages and in our passage this morning, at the beginning of Holy Week, that Jesus begins with action. He begins with an action that all people can gather behind that it is clear that words, when they no longer have meaning, that actions can speak louder. Intentional actions that make a difference. Intentional actions that take from Zechariah chapter 9, again, at the end of our passage in Matthew this morning, there's a notation at the bottom which takes you to Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, which discusses that the Savior will arrive in not on a horse but on a donkey that he knows that this is things that people know and that his actions will match it there were 2.5 million people there and i imagine those 2.5 million people 
had one topic of conversation. One topic of conversation which was focused on Christ. One topic of conversation which was focused on his actions. Not necessarily on his words, but on his actions. And I reckon that was the conversation for the full week. It was certainly the conversation a week later. I'm sure it was conversation days later. That after the crucifixion it was conversation for weeks later, for months later. That the conversation in the community started with an action that everyone could see and everyone could talk about and that everyone could understand. We don't know the impact we make upon a person's life. We don't know the actions we take, how we represent ourselves, how we carry ourselves at work with family, in the community, with friends. We have no idea of how impactful our actions truly can be when it comes to sharing the Word of God. We don't know if it will last a week, a month, a year. The men's group this month have been looking at legacy and what it means to be remembered beyond. What does it mean? How would people think back when they think back of you? People you haven't seen in 10 years, 20 years. People you haven't seen in 30 years. When they think back upon you, what do they think of? How do they think of you? How do they think of Christ? Do they see that in you? One of the greatest storytellers that uh, I've seen in the church is, is Bishop Fanta Clark. And he tells a story that stayed with me forever. He tells a story of uh, two businessmen running to catch a plane. They run to catch it. They're both late. It's last call. The, the boarding gate is closing. And there's not another flight that day. And as they run, there's a salesman at the side of the airport uh, selling fruit, just selling what he can, and he's blind, and he's there just doing what he can, not to beg, but to, but to try and sell things. And as they run past, they, they knock the table over, fruit goes flying, and the first man looks back over his shoulder and continues to run. The second man stops, calls after his friend, if I don't make it, tell my wife I'll be in the next flight. And he gets down, and he picks up the oranges, and he picks up the apples, and he rebuilds the stand for this man again. Some of the fruit's a bit bruised or damaged, so he pays for some of it. He makes sure things are in order. He apologizes, and he runs on. The blind man standing calls out after him. The only thing he can think to say, are you Jesus? What a wonderful compliment to receive. How often do people look at us and call that after us? Are you Jesus? Are you Jesus in your community? We stand with words, but do our actions truly match up to it? Because that is what people see. That is what people understand. That is what people will continue to converse and discuss. So at the beginning of Holy Week, as we gather together to remember this such an important week in our calendar, we ask ourselves about our actions. When our words begin to lose meaning, how can we respond with action? How can we respond knowing that people look at us, knowing that as we are arriving into communities, carrying the word of God with us, as people look to us for an example, what do they say 
How can we impact them? What can we do to leave a lasting legacy of Christ in their lives? And we can pray that all our interactions, be they large or be they small, may leave meaningful impacts. Leave meaningful impacts of Christ that people remember when they think of Christians, they think of us, they think of us and our actions as well as our words. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, to you be glory. As you arrived into a community, all eyes were on you. All eyes looked to you as an example. May we be carriers of your word, of your example, everywhere we go. May we carry you with us in glory, trusting in your great word and promise, now and forever. Amen. Let's finish this morning's service with these words. Christ, draw you to himself and grant that you find in his cross a sure ground for faith, a firm support for hope and the assurance of sins forgiven. And the blessing of God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit be with you and remain with you this day and evermore. Amen.